welcome back my friends. I have finally reached the pinnacle of my podcast journey. I can die a happy bloke after releasing this episode or this conversation. Um, not that I'm going to stop and not that I'm going to, you know, just give up now because I've, I've come so far, but I literally sat down a couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was, with Martin um, Heppel from the Resilience Project and we chatted for about an hour and a half and we spoke about everything. Like we covered literally everything I have been sort of talking about through this journey of, um, of recording conversations. Um, I've got here a list of topics that you know I try and touch on in all podcasts and I think most podcasts I touch on one or two topics and really sort of focus in on that. This podcast or this conversation I literally touched on every single one of them and because it is an hour and a half I'm going to split it into two episodes and the first one is going to come out today so as I'm speaking now the second one's going to come out um, sort of later in the week or, or early next week. And the first one is essentially the why. Why, you know, touching on all the topics, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. And the, the second episode is the how, how to fix the problem, essentially. And, um, and the topics, you know, I've got, as I've said here, um, I've got a list of topics that I try and touch on in um in all my episodes and i've got this thing around the youth so that's a a big focus of mine is um, reaching and finding out more about the youth because ultimately that is my goal um, in life is to be an educator be a pe an outdoor educator go against the grain and trying to like raise the standard inspire and develop the youth so they are strong and resilient people Now, as I touched on before, strong or strength takes many forms. But um, the topics I try and touch on around the youth is how do we engage them? Are we failing the youth? Is it okay not to know what you want to do at the end of your school, um, schooling years? You know, the importance of taking a gap year, how can society can um, better generate, whoops, how can society better the next generation of, um, of people coming through? And then I have a, a whole sort of mental health um, section here. So things on meditation, vulnerability, mindset, social media, comparison, failure, community, connection, loneliness, shame, self-reflection, and tips for staying mentally well. Um, so they're kind of all the topics I try and um, bring to you all. Um, I wrote that at the very start of, um, of starting this podcast and they've sort of been my, my goals the whole time. And um, this episode, as I said, we literally touched on every single one of those topics. Every single one, not even kidding. And um, the, as I said, the first episode is going to be the why. So why are you not feeling well or should i say this episode is the is the why so why do you not feel comfortable in your own skin and we we talk about a lot of different things and i'll leave leave it for the conversation i'll do a a little um ej's insightful sparks afterwards as well 
And then the second episode is how can you feel comfortable in your own skin, essentially. So um, I do want to say this, though, that the audio um, isn't the greatest at, at times. Um, I've really got to sort something out with, with this mic and, and the way I record online. I think as well, it, it kind of... Um, you can't help it because some people have poor internet connection and so on. So it was a bit harder in that sense. But um, I really spent a lot of time trying to edit um, and it tested my abilities in the editing. I'm not great at that. I tested my abilities in trying to reduce some of the noise and, and sort of um, amplify Martin's um, sort of voice so you can hear it clearly. Um, I haven't taken any bits out it's literally how it is and that's how i try and keep all my episodes so i really hope you enjoy this one um because this is by far my favorite conversation i've had so far martin is just a an eccentric kind of person he's just a an awesome person to speak to and and he just brings a vibrant personality vibrant sort of um energy to it all um so yeah here it is. So, welcome back to the EJ Sparks Conversation Podcast. I believe this is episode 24. I am super, super pumped about this one. I know I say this about every episode, but this one's a very special one. I've got Martin Heppel um, on the other end. Welcome, Martin. Thanks, mate. Appreciate to be here. Um, now, I have been trying to get this um, sort of set up or, um, you know, have a conversation with Martin or um, Hugh from the Resilience Project for a while now. And I, um, I sort of contacted the Resilience Project asking about it and, and finally we're sitting down today. So I've been pretty excited about it. I, I wasn't sure whether it was actually going to happen or not, but um, no, I was, I was happy either way. So, um, yeah, Martin... I, I sort of haven't really come across before, in, um, unlike a lot of my other guests, and um, and I was actually going to be going to one of your public talks in Bendigo, um, but unfortunately that sort of was cancelled. But super stoked to actually have you here today and, and have a chat with you. No, thank you. So, no worries, Martin. So my first question is um, that I like to ask all my guests is, um, what is your weirdest habit? that sort of not many people know about or that, you know, is unique to you? Um, that can go to air. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a weird, I'm a weird unit as it is. So I, I would say most people who meet me think that I'm a little bit off centre and um, <laughs> and I'm a little bit, I don't know, growing, I don't know. I mean, I've got a lot of stuff about me that's weird, a bit OCD, don't mind multiples of three. Um, yeah, <laughs> my, my wife cracks at me because I like kissing her three times um, before we go to bed, and then she deliberately doesn't allow me to kiss her the third time just to peeve me off. So, <laughs> I, I am, I, I don't know, like, I, I'm a weird person. Many people believe that I'm weird, people who know me yeah. um, know that I'm different, but I believe that I'm, I'm all of the above, but I am me, and um, yeah, so that's the most important thing. Yeah, beauty, and I've I've listened to you know a few of your little short clips and and that sort of thing. And I feel like you you really do embrace that, um, and and you're one that um, just from you know the things I've watched, one that just doesn't care so much what other people think about you and, and that sort of sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, hats off to you, Martin. No, no, I, I I care, 
but uh, what's the right word? I believe that if you live by your morals and your values and you are true to yourself, then if someone doesn't like you, then so be it. So I don't, yeah. I don't go around and, and be, you know, act like a flog or be disrespectful or be intentional in that way. But if someone doesn't like the way I roll, um, I know many people do. And that's what I remind myself of. Yeah, yeah, beauty. And I think that's probably a good life philosophy. Like, you know, we can often um, take to heart a lot of um, what people have to say. And, um, and as you said there, if our morals and, and values are aligned to, you know, us and we're living by them then um, and we're sort of putting out that kindness to the rest of the world, then, you know, those sort of external um, opinions and those sort of things um, – shouldn't sort of tear us apart as as much yeah i agree and it's really hard because because most people you know if you've got empathy and and whatnot you care about what other people think and i'm not saying i don't care Mm. what people think but it's just about getting back up on the saddle and knowing that you you believe in what you do and believing that whatever it is you know whatever you know if you're at school if you're you know and you're in the workplace um, at mm. home, um, you're doing the right thing by those around you and they will, the people around you, those who are close, they'll respect and still value for it, even if you have a bad day elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, and I, I think we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later as well. Um, a lot of those sort of things you said there around empathy and that sort of stuff. But um, to start with, let's take a step back to when you were, you know, Probably as a young kid, because I believe and I've read um, the Resilience Project book and sort of had a little snippet of, of your story, but I'm intrigued by um, by your childhood. So take me back to your childhood and, and what that was like for you. Yeah, it was um, it was unreal. So my dad, he's an anthropologist. An anthropologist, they, they study the culture of human beings and mum and dad, um, they decided to live with a headhunting tribe in Borneo. And um, I lived with them in the late 60s. And when I say headhunters, I'm not mucking around. Like, that's what they did. They took head. So they, um, they, they stopped in the 70s. My mum and dad yeah. lived them for about three years nonstop studying them. And then my brother and I were born and then they took us back there and we grew up with them. So yeah, uh, grew up in Borneo, so, so in Sarawak, which is part of Malaysia. Um, they're called the Iban, they're Dayaks. And... Um, that's basically my family, and so and it, it shaped and moulded the way my brother and I are uh, to this day. And um, we we grew up swimming in rivers, hunting for wild boar with blowpipes. Um, Gosh, you, you know, living in long houses. Uh, yeah, you, you know, for fun and games, we'd go hunt rats with our blowpipe. <laughs> we were young kids weren't allowed to hunt the big cats and the wild boar until we got older. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I spent a lot of my childhood there then um, and went to an international school in Jakarta, Indonesia, for two and a half years uh, and then came back to Melbourne when I was in year eight and and went to a a private school in Melbourne. So, um, but, yeah, my brother and I are are heavily influenced by, uh, I suppose, what we were exposed to in Borneo in particular. In terms of the way the the tribe lived, and, and, and how did they? Oh, sorry, I was going to say, yeah. like, what were those experiences like? How did they sort of live and and um, yeah. their 
I suppose, interactions with you because that would have been like, you know, your family, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, it was. And it was. So when my mum and dad were there, it was really hard because they'd never seen a, an Anglo-Saxon, you know, person before in their lives and mum and dad couldn't speak the language. But over those three years, oh, wow. they formed a relationship with all of them and they became our family. And then my brother and I were born. As I said, we went back there. They they brought up their kids for for zest for life. And whenever a kid stuffed up, it wasn't a punitive um, put down or there was any yelling or, you know, demonstrative behaviour, um, you know, sort of put put them in the corner and sticking their nose there. They always listened mm. to the kids. They then gained insight into what was going on and then they spoke to the kids about what they could do differently the next time. And because the kids were empowered to spot be open about their stuff-ups and then guidance, they then got uh, support for the down the line by being in the same situation at a future date, knowing what to do differently. And that was really Yeah, important. yeah. That's – and it's – well, I, I can't sort of speak for you, but, like, was their way of lifestyle, their way of raising very much, like, not just the parents, it was the, the whole tribe. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was very much a community based, and and everyone interacted and saw what everyone was doing, and spoke about you know their their um I suppose experiences in that sort of way. Yeah, I mean they believed, and and they knew from prior experience that they had to live in a kindness had to be in operation. There was no refrigeration, no electricity, so if you got wild boar. It's going off in two days. I mean, they'd boil it and make it last for longer and salt it up and some yeah. stuff like that. But um, they would they would share and they were open to that. And you know, the the produce they got from the you know from the ground they brought back, and everyone was looked after. And so kindness had to be displayed, had to be modelled, because mm. uh, it was the one thing that was the glue that kept the tribe together. And if there wasn't that, if it wasn't evident every single day then they would start to splinter. And, and through that modelling, that my mum and my dad, they, they changed their whole outlook on parenting. So they were from uh, boarding school experiences in the UK and the US. Yeah. And um, their experiences were, you know, it was punitive. You know, you, you stuff up, you get the cane, you get whacked. Yeah. You know, all that type of stuff back in those days. And... They, they went and, you know, I suppose studied this tribe and then changed their whole mindset on how to bring up a kid. And my brother and I now and I were really fortunate because we benefited from that. Yeah, definitely. And, like, you, you touched on there about the kindness and I suppose that um, that love for the people in their tribe. But, like, what about because you said they were the headhunters mm. or the headhunter tribe. So did that sort of display for other tribes or not so much? Like So – so that was in battle. So what they believed was okay. if they killed someone, the spirit of that dead body, the deceased body, would come and haunt them. And they, in their miss, their legends, didn't want that to happen because that would be the worst right. thing that could happen. But they, So they also believed their head owned the spirit. So they thought that so a deceased body releases a spirit, but then they'd take the head, they'd take the head home, back to the longhouse, and because they then had the head, They'd put it in their longhouse where it would stop the spirits from entering the longhouse to haunt everyone in the tribe. That was their belief. So that's sort of how it sort of unfolded. So, mate, you, know, you, you walk yeah. in the longhouse, my brother and I, 
and mate, you, you got a you got a skull above you, and um, that's not really you know that's not like an you know like the old you know that old frog light that you have down the hall. So when you go to the bathroom, yeah. you know, there's nothing like that going on. You've got skulls everywhere. So it, it was it was different, but. It yeah. was amazing, and we, and to this day, like every year, we, we go back there. Obviously, we can't this year at this stage. Uh, yeah, going on, but yeah, every year we go back. My brother and I, and his family, and, you know, his his wife and kids, my wife and kids, and my mum and my dad, and it's it's our Jeez. culture, it's our heritage, it is who we are, and we're bloody proud of it. Yeah, I love that. And so, what's the biggest lesson that they sort of taught you? while you were there or, or that you sort of took away from your experiences there? I think that that what I learned there was that every action that you put into play had a consequence, whether it was good or bad, on others. So I, I really learned yeah. at a young age about how my actions don't just impact me, they impact other people. And I suppose mm. just learning and, and being thoughtful. And, and look, I, I forever – have stuffed up and done things that, you know, well, you know, things like that or whatever, but just being aware that teamwork is a necessity in any, in any um, environment. Uh, people have got strengths and weaknesses, but yeah. when you all pull together, like some people were really good hunters, others were not. Others were really good carvers. You know, they made, they did, you know, fixed up the longhouse, whatever it may be. Everyone had a strength and those strengths were embraced. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, that's awesome. And so once you then came back to, um, to Australia in, in grade eight or year eight, what was your teenage years like? And, and so did you see yourself as, you know, um, slightly a bit out of the norm to the yep. other kids and, and sort of feel that? Yeah, definitely. Oh, so came back uh, in year eight, and that was just when we were in Jakarta. Yeah. And so had I um, had that that international school was an American school, right? And my mum's American, but I I I had an American accent, and it was pretty thick, and I had a lisp. So I had I had everyone say "state don't say to me," and all this, you know. But um, I had a target on the back. Yeah. Big time. And, I, and I was a smart ass. I was a major, like, I did not take a back step. So if someone came at me, I'd come right back yeah. at them. And, you know, and I'm new to the school. So you get a target on your back, right or wrong. Um, I was fortunate to locate sport. And because of that, I was able to, I suppose, find a place within the, the school in terms of the sporting powers. And, but, yeah, mate, I, everyone drove a Mercedes and a BMW. We had a holding Kinga. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone, you know, seriously, yeah, I love Kingers yeah. now, but back then I didn't. No, true. So I, I get dropped off from the party three Ks out because I didn't want anyone to see us in the Kinga. <laughs> um, you know, everyone thought the Flintstones were built because you could see the ground as you were driving, man. One time we went around a roundabout, there's no word of a lie, and we were doing corners. You know, in the back seat, we were yeah, playing corners. Yeah. We, each other. we went around a roundabout, and one of my mates went out the door. <sighs> and my mum did a full 360, came back, and then we stopped, picked him up, chucked him back in the car, and kept <laughs> going. So like, and so that was us. Yeah. You know? And my mum, my dad, 
he um to this day he collects the the, the tribe he live with their artifacts so carvings yeah. so his his house is like a museum so our house was a museum but people were coming around going mate this is this is not right you know there's True. voodoo yeah. and everything else going on here so yeah we did but I think where we were really lucky is that again because of our upbringing we were comfortable in our own skin and we were willing to go against the grain. And going against the grain is really bloody tough. Um, and we were able to do that from a young age, I, I think, on reflection, because of the modelling we received from our parents. You know, they, they went against the grain. They showed us it's okay not to be normal, um, to, you know, not to be doing things everyone else does. Yes. And, and to live the way that you believe in living and to be okay with that. And I think that strength of character then enabled us, my brother and I, to forge really strong relationships with our, with friends that we still have now and elsewhere, and then you're on. Yeah. You know, and that's what's really hard for kids is that every kid when you're at school, all you crave, you just want to, you just want to, you want to belong, yeah. like fitting in. Fitting in is I'm in the room with you, but you don't care if I'm there or not. But I, I want to be in the room with yes. you, but you don't care. Belonging is I'm in the room with you, I am me, and you want me to be in the room, and you're letting me be me. But for kids at school, quite often they're trying to fit in, mm. you know. And, and what grave is status, you know, and you know, and it's. And I get it. I get, totally get it. You know, why you reckon they're all on social media and they go, they're smashing that bad boy? It's because everyone else is on social media who's in their business. If they don't be on it, they're out. They miss out. They're not, they haven't got their status um, acquired, elevated, whatever it may be. So back then, we didn't have any of that. So that's where we were lucky. You know, and I was, I was a little bit loose. Um, you know, I wasn't in a drug or anything like that, but I had a bit of energy. Yeah. So I walked around a fair bit, and um, but mate, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd go back, and I failed all the time. Wouldn't change any of those failures, the ones that impacted on me, and I'd go and relive those days again. I'd walk. Unreal, and I think you've brought up a a really important thing that I want to try and flesh out a little bit um, in here is around like you know that that fitting in and that belonging because. Yeah, like even through high school, and I was very lucky. I had a very good upbringing and parents that, um, you know, I suppose expressed and taught me to be myself and um, and to sort of be comfortable in my own skin, um, so to speak. Yeah. But, you know, definitely being a, at school and, and through high school in particular, you know, it's, it is hard because you – if you aren't fitting in or aren't doing what the norm, what everyone else is doing, you're kind of shunned upon or outcasted. So, like, I, yeah. I, I know that you were a teacher and we'll, we'll touch on that later, but, like, when you were with kids and what did you sort of tell them and, and teach them or sort of express to them about um, getting through those, those periods of time? I think, well, one, we're all different. Be proud of being different and be you, and I was I'm, I'm massive on that, and so therefore I would if anyone ever said anything negative about another kid, 
that was linked to being different or anything like that. I, you know, we I wouldn't, you know, chuck him out of the class or anything like that. But we'd sit down and have that convo mm. right there. And it, so, therefore, my modelling, my behaviours were consistent. It was about empowering them to believe in themselves, to understand and to know that they are not good at everything. If they are not good at something, not to dwell on that, to address it, but don't dwell yeah. on it. Like you've got to work on your weaknesses, but d- that the weaknesses don't define you. But bloody oath, when you've got something that you're good at, we celebrate that. So I would celebrate every single kid's things that they did well, whether that would be artistic, whether it be sport, whether it be compassion, whether it be appetite. Yeah. I did not care, man. I, every kid, if some kid could nail three hot yeah. dogs in a row, I'm them up on the table and we're saying salute the man <laughs> or the woman or whoever they may be. Like it, it, you know, so it was about it was getting them to understand that they're not perfect and no one is. And for me to model that I was imperfect and every time I made a mistake, I'd, I'd model it to them. I'd show them that I can't spell every word. I'd, I'd use a calculator. I'd use a dictionary when I was unsure. I'd ask for feedback from them. When I got feedback from them, this is grade one, two kids, they would give me the feedback, but then I would respond. Like they'd say to me sometimes, oh, Mr. Heppel, you think you're really funny, but your jokes aren't. Like, all right, mate, I apologise. But then because I received that feedback and acted on it, then when I gave them feedback, they acted on that yeah. as well. So whereas a lot of the time what teachers make a mistake in, possibly from my point of view, is that they don't understand that if you want a kid to follow in your footsteps, then you better walk in those footsteps, man. You better know what you're going through, but you better model it. You better walk the walk. You know, and, and, and teachers sometimes fall into this trap where they believe they're the beacon of all knowledge and they have to know everything, and we don't. Yeah. We never will. And for a kid... If we make them think they're supposed to know everything, well, then we're setting them up for failure. And there's no issue with failure. The failure we're setting them up for is they lose belief because they have self-doubt, because they're not achieving all these things that supposedly they've got to achieve, and that's bullcrap. Like, like, it's it's funny. You're a 16-, 17-, 18-year-old kid, and you're supposed to have your life in that place. I know. <laughs> like I'm 45, man. I'm 45 years of age and I'm not joking. We've just mm. met, but I'm tipping by the end of this conversation or you, if you haven't worked it out already, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, man. <laughs> no idea. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so you've got a kid who's 16, 17, 18, and good on them if they do. If they've got it worked out, yeah. unreal. But so many people I've met, they have done something that they initially when they left school that in five years, ten years, whatever, not for them. And then on the flipper, I meet some people who have never done anything different, but they then believe they're stuck and they keep doing the same thing. They hate it, but because they're stuck with a mortgage or whatever it may be, they believe they can't go back to university because they're now 38 with kids. I can't do that. Then they're doing something that they hate, therefore they're not enjoying themselves, and it then seeps into the rest of their world and they come home and they're pissed off work, they come home and then take it out on their wife, yeah. their husband, their partner, their kids, and it's not their fault. It's just they can't manage their emotions at that particular stage because they're doing something they don't like. Exactly like a kid at school who isn't that great at, let's say, I don't know, let's go literacy. Yeah. So anything to do with English or anything like that, 
but they are an amazing, mate. If they had their hands on a hammer, if they had their hands on a saw, they could create something that's so phenomenal. But that in our old school system is not something that is valued. What is valued? Can you read? Can you write? And can you count? Yeah. No. And, and not every, not every person's made to be that way. And. That's something that I'm really sort of um, looking into and exploring myself because I'm starting to be a, an outdoor ed PE teacher. And, um, awesome. And I absolutely love it. And in some senses, it, it really does go against the grain of the, um, the sort of standard teaching. But looking back at my um, high school years, and I've mentioned this before to a few mates, that like, you know, I, I had friends there that just were not engaged. They they were considered the the bottom of the class. They, you know, weren't good at maths, English, so on, reading. But like getting them get them on the farm or in the engineering shed and holy dooly, like they outsmart me yeah. in every single way. And I'm just like yeah. I'm out there with them and, and they're I'm looking like the, the dumb one now. So, you know, as going back to yeah. strengths and weaknesses. And that's, and that's a lesson for any educator. Yeah. And the lesson is if you you are not teaching a subject, you're not. You're teaching a human being. Yeah. That's where educated stuff up. So if an educator builds a rapport, develops a relationship with their students, listens to them, guess what happens? They get intel, they're informed, better decision maker, they build trust. But this is the key, man. They then find out that Ethan right, wants to do outdoor ed, wants to do PE, so we, I might be your English teacher, yeah. but all of a sudden I'm teaching you stuff about that it's linked to outdoor ed PE. And all of a sudden I might go for a primary school kid, I'm teaching them how to do a procedural text. And all of a sudden I'm asking you, I want you to write down a step-by-step guide on how you would teach someone to abseil down a mountain. Yeah. Now, if I do that, you are in. But if I ask you to write a step-by-step guide on how to, I don't know, make a spaghetti bolognese and you're not into cooking or anything like that, I don't have you. So if educators listen to the human beings that they are teaching, they then can adapt the content and make it linked to that kid's interests. And every time you do that, those kids hum. Yes. They hum. Definitely. And so that's – and that, that's really important. It's really important because then that kid is looking at that teacher going, blimey, this teacher listened yeah. to me. They care about me. And you know what? I'm going to work my ass off for yeah. them because they're working off their ass me. off for that's me. That's it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that's what I've picked up from just looking at uh, my teachers and the ones that I really related to. You know, they, they were the ones that listened and were really kind and putting in the effort for me and, and sort of directing me in the ways that I wanted to be directed in. So uh, yeah, 100%. Exactly. Um, yeah. You spoke about failing and, and sort of modelling that to the kids. How important is failing to you? Like do you see that as a, a negative experience or something that's really positive in your life? Overall, it's positive. At, in that moment in time, it could be negative. Yeah. So what do I mean? I, I talk about it all the time and I, I, I talk about like everything I've done, I've failed at. I played AFL football at St Kilda and I was I was terrible, failed. I played AFL football at Melbourne, 
<coughs> I failed. I got delisted. I was over in Adelaide, failed over there for three years. My brother and I went travelling around the world for three and a half years. We came home about 80-odd, $100,000 in debt, which we owed mum and dad, which, mate, let me tell you, when you owe your parents, you go out and own your parents hundred grand. Let me tell you, they define that as failure. And then I was at primary school, t- uh, university. I was a failure there. Um, I was a one-two teacher, five-six teacher, failed. I was an assistant principal, yeah. four years failed. I've been doing this gig for five years. I fail all the time. This is what happens. And this is where it's really hard for individuals to, to understand this, is that when you do fail, if you have the courage to self-assess, adapt, change, address it, you then get better the next time you're in a similar yeah. situation. If you do not address it, if you do not self-assess, you're in the same situation again. You do the same thing because you don't know any different because you've never addressed it. You've never spoken to anyone about it. You've never asked for guidance. So for our kids, if they fear failure, which quite often they do mm-hmm. because we want to be perfect to smash NAPLAN, to get in that university course, not this one, here's your only issue, man, is that, you know, we, we so, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but the resilient project, you know, if you want to be resilient, you've got to go through adversity. Yeah. Now, if you've never experienced adversity before, how are you going to put it, how are you going to address it when it comes your way? And if I, as a kid, I've never experienced adversity, but then I'm an adult and I'm supposedly independent. Why do you think so many adults fall in a hole nowadays um, and not know what to do? It's because they've never been in it. Like, so, so for me, it's, it's so important and it's knowing this. It sucks. Yeah. I'm going to address it and it's still going to suck. I'm going to think about other things to do and it's still going to suck. And then when I'm in that situation again and I do things differently, it's going to be wicked. Yeah. Because I'll have a different outcome. And so and so now for me, like, and obviously there's different scales of failure, but for me now um, and with my job, I'm very comfortable with it because I, I get better. That's it. And I think that's um, the the link there between um, trying to raise a perfect child or, or trying to be perfect and not experiencing those failures makes sense because I hadn't thought about it that way. But you, you're, you're damn right. Like you know, at um, at school where we're sort of expected to excel to you know get into this uni course or get a, a good ATAR to exceed in life and, and mm. so on. And and if we don't then we're kind of shunned upon or where we don't know where to go. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting sort of point there. There's a bloke, you should check him out. There's a bloke called Sir Ken Robinson. He's um, big on creativity. He's massive. He's an educator and he's um, he he grew up in uh, Liverpool but he, he resides in the US now. He talks about how um, I can't remember the exact, you know, the, I, I'll be wrong with this stat, but it's around about, I think it was 93%. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. But, like, he was basically saying when a kid's born, they've got a 93% chance of being a genius in their field. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying they're going to, everyone's going to be Albert Einstein yeah. or whoever it is, you know, but, I mean, in their field, which is what we were talking about before, yeah. you know. It might be as a sparky. It might be as a, you know, it might be as a chippy. It might be as a lawyer, yeah. whatever it might be, dance instructor. 
But then every year we go to school, that percentage decreases. It doesn't go up. It goes down because we stimmy. We take away the child's creativity because we heard everyone Mm. and put them on the conveyor belt and we say, at the end of year one, you should be expected to be able to achieve this. At the end of year two, so on and so forth. And what happens in life is that I am friends with people who are older than me. I am friends with people who are younger than me. I have people who have got skill sets that are so much more superior than mine and they're 10, 20 years younger than me. The conveyor belt, mate, that's not what it's about. What it's about is the journey. Give every kid an opportunity to get to wherever they want to get to, but be open to knowing that that kid who then becomes an adult might get there at a later date, and that is okay. Mm. It's okay. Like I didn't go back to uni till I was twenty-eight. Yeah, mate. It was. Well, I was telling all the girls at uni that I was that I, I was going to say eighteen, <laughs> but mate, I, I've got a head like a smashed crab, so I couldn't roll that right. <laughs> I, I was trying to work it out. I said I'm twenty-four. And then I had to remember every year that I was at uni, I was 25 or 26, I couldn't really remember what I said I was there. You know what I mean? Like, mate, I'm 28. And, and, and if I had, and I did go to uni when I was 18, yeah. and I was at St Kilda, and I was stupid, and I thought I was going to be an AFL footballer, and I never went to uni. Mm. But even if I wasn't at St Kilda, I'll tell you where I would have been. I would have been at the pub with my mates on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday night, getting wrong. Because that's all we wanted to do, and I wouldn't have done my best. However, when I went back to uni when I was 28, man, I was yeah. off. I'd ride my booking in, and I'd go to every shoot, every lecture, and I'd come home and I'd study my absolute backside off. Why? Because at that point in my life, I was yeah. ready. But I wasn't ready before. Now, other people, they're ready at 18, mm. and that's awesome, but I wasn't. And so many of us are in the same boat. But other people, they put a judgment, they put a date on our completion of when we should do something. And if it hasn't been done at that certain stage, then we get a number in the packing line and we go further back down towards the end. And then that affects our self-esteem. It affects our belief. And it affects, for many people, them for the rest of their life because they then believe they're not good at what parents say, I'm not good at math. No, mate, that's not true. You model that to your kids and then you give your kid now. Oh, I'm not good at math. My mum and dad weren't good at math either. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, about, it's about all of us knowing that you got to have the courage to go back and do something when you're ready. Every one of my mates who have gone back and studied over the age of 30, they love their yeah. life. They love their job. Every one of my mates who went into some jobs that are really high paying, you know, like getting a lot of coin and identified earlier they didn't like it. However, they bought a house with a big, massive mortgage and they couldn't give up the coin. They're stuck in yeah. it and they're miserable. Yeah. And now they believe they can't leave because this is a cycle that they're in and they've upgraded, 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 keep up with everyone else and all that variety. And because they've done that now, they, they need the job even more. And 
they're not passionate about their work. And they get up, they can get up every day and, and hating your job. Now, if I have to feed my kids and I've got no other option, I get yeah. that. I understand it all. But if you've got an option, if you've got an option, why wouldn't you go for it? And this is what I'll throw out for people to consider is that they don't, they don't understand that they all have an option. Like what's the worst case scenario? If you've got a massive house, sell it. Down yeah. If you've got a goddamn Ford, I don't know, Raptor, one of those new Ranger yeah. Raptors that go for 70 grand, sell it and get a Triton that's secondhand for 15 yeah. and loop off the 55 grand to get you through the years or the year where you're studying. We can do online study. Mm-hmm. We can do it at home. If you want to, you can do it after hours. You don't have to complete it in two years. You don't have to complete it in four. You can chip away at something. There's options for you. But if you always look for the roadblock, if you always are worried about what other people are going to say and other people are going to do, then, mate, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, I know. It's funny that you sort of mentioned that because a lot of – Uh, my friends went like straight from high school to uni and just to, you know, start a course that they, you know, weren't passionate about or weren't sure about. And nine times out of 10, they're not enjoying it. And then they get into their second, third year and they realize it's not for them and they get out, which is good that they realize then. But, you know, we... Um, as we sort of spoke about before, expected to kind of go along that path and, and sort of just transition straight away. Whereas like I, at the end of year 12, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had my heart previously set on the, the Air Force and was just so, so passionate about that. But I got sick in year 11. So that sort of for a spin in the works. And, um, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And so I took a gap year and I, um, I was doing swim teaching and, and sort of joined that with a lot of my other passions. And it was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Cool. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you take three, five, six gap years, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, in the end, you, we're sort of uh, getting experience, um, as you sort of said, and, and sort of learning along the way. Spot on. I mean, I've got mates, some of my best friends, and myself included. When I came back from overseas and I was about, um, you know, 26, 27, all my friends mm. had either, you know, had a loan for a house, serious relationships, yeah. getting married, talking about marriage, kids. And I did. Yeah. I compared myself to them. And I'm not – hand on my heart, there were moments when I was like, man, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? But it's funny, like – Depending on who your mentors are in your life, and I've been really lucky to have my mum and my dad has been, you know, really strong mentors for me. Mum never, mum never like said this to me as if it was a profound moment, but um, she said to me, "It doesn't matter when you find it, as long as you find it." And it was just, it was a random conversation that we we're having, and I don't even know if it was aligned to my my career path or my journey, but I took that, and from that day. What has always been in the back of my head whenever I've doubted myself or worried about, you know, keeping up with Jones, whatever it may be, I've always said, mate, I don't know when you find it. I don't know when you find it. Now I'm 45. I've, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I'm, I met my wife, you know, when I was 32. 
I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. 32. And like, you know, and like it, when I met her, like before that, I was like, oh, am I going to meet the, you know, the, you know, the one or anything like that? Um, you know, I had kids when I was 40, my first. Um, but, you know, it was great. You know, yeah. a lot of other people didn't get married till I was 41, which was yeah. low compared to everyone else. Um, you know, but, um, I, I know, I'm, you know, that I develop later than other people. I'm young at heart, and is that a, a yeah. drama? Being young at heart, I'm not saying being serious is, is a drama. I'm just saying I am young at heart. So, mate, these are my cards. They're the ones that I've got. So play your hand, man. But mate, play yeah. your hand. Don't play someone else's. And if they want to bluff. If they want to put the poker face on, if they want to put on the reflective glasses and be someone who they think they want to be, and you let them be that. If that's the way they want to roll, mm. the way they want to roll. But that doesn't mean I have to roll your way, man. Yeah. I've um over ISO or over this, you know, isolation period, have done a fair bit of self-reflection and, and looking back at my um, particularly late teens, um, I compared myself a lot and even last year, um, first year of uni, compared myself a fair bit and, and it, you kind of get caught in that that trap and thinking that because um, I'd kind of come into this outdoor ed course and, um, yes, I've, I've sort of done um, a fair few, you know, outdoor ed experiences and, and fair few camps, but, you know, I had friends that had travelled the world and, and done these epic trips, um, you know, epic kayaking trips or rock climbing trips and just things that sound so amazing. I'd never done, you know, that or hadn't done a, a you know, 10-day hike or something. And I was, you know, getting quite anxious about that. And um, and during this kind of ISO period, I've gone, well, actually, you know, Yes, I haven't done that, but I've done other things that have yeah. you know, helped me grow and I've gone through my own experiences and my own kind of hardships or um, joys and, and had my successes in other ways. Um, and That's I bring a, a different skill set um, to, to the board. Um, but it, you can easily yeah. get caught up in that comparison trap. Yeah, and, and what happens is that, until you, it's that's really important to talk about it with other people as well. Mm. I'll give you an example. One of my best mates, Kanga, we were talking about this a while ago. He had got a house, you know, had his first kid when he was young. When I say young, 27. Yeah. And um, we were talking about it. And he goes, and I was saying to him, you know, how I used to think, oh man, I wish I had the house, you know, if I had stayed and worked in my 20s. And he goes, mate, when you were overseas, what do you think I wanted? <laughs> Like I just wanted to be doing what you're doing. So we, we think that, it, you know, it, mate, no one's got it sorted. Yeah. You show me someone who's smashing it, I'll point the finger at the person who's pointing the finger at that person who says they're smashing it and say, that, mate, you're lying, dude. No one's got it sorted, man. Yeah. No one. I don't care who you are. You do not have it sorted because it's that's not the world. But what, what it is, the beauty of it is let's do the best with what we've got. Let's work with other people and let's enjoy this moment. Don't worry what other people think. Be a good human being, yeah? 100% yeah. be a good human being. Respect other people for their differences, for their diversity, for their ethnic backgrounds, religion, gender choices, whatever it may be. 
allow them to be who they are because if you allow them to be who they are, they will allow you to be who you are. Now, mate, this the hardest thing in life is getting getting to the point where you can be yourself. But once you get there, it is bliss because all you got to do, man, all you got to do is wake up and just be you. Do you know how good that is? Yeah. Like that is the biggest thing in the world, man. You just have to be you. Like, mate, I know you can't see it, but, like, I'm wearing a flannel and Adidas tracksuit pants with a pair of Vans on and a beanie, and I'm in Melbourne, mate. I don't know, if, you know, Melbourne, there's a place. I'm, we rent a house in Hawthorne. It yeah. is Yuppie City. It's Yuppie City, man. And I walk down this road called Glenfree Road, and everyone, when they see me walk down there, I reckon they think I've got leprosy or something, man, because everyone <laughs> – you haven't got 500 bucks worth of gear on your body right now. What's going on? Where's your th- – you know, mate, we're all different. And for those people, I don't look at them and say that I'm better than them. No. I'm just – mate, that's, your, that's the way you want to roll. Yeah. So roll that way. No issue. But, mate, I'm rolling the way I'm going to roll. Yeah. That's, I love that. Like the, the being you and being comfortable in your own skin is, is just so important and um, can be – as you said, um, quite hard to get there, but once you're there, yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, since moving to away from home and, and since, you know, um, being around people that really do support um, me, because I'm in a course where we're such a tight-knit community and everyone is different and we all celebrate the differences. Like I have really come out of my shell and really felt yeah, like yeah. I can be myself. And it's, it's finding yeah. that kind of community or finding, you know, the people that um, embrace that. It's You just said it, man. Remember what I talked about before about belonging? Yeah. You belong with your crew at uni. And every single time a human being belongs, they spread their wings and they bloody go off yeah. tap. Yeah. They do. They, they they smash it, man. They smash it. Definitely. They absolutely smash it. Yeah. And so what it is there is how lucky are you to have a wonderful group of, you know, colleagues, you know, friends at uni who allow you to belong because it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. But then also look yourself in the mirror and be kind to yourself and say, you know what? I've contributed that as well. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Good on you, Ethan. Uh, Unreal. Thanks, Martin. <laughs>